Good morning. It's good to be here. Thank you for the opportunity of being able to share with you this morning. As your children's and family's pastor, I am thankful for two things this morning. One of which I'm going to leave right until the very end, so you're going to have to listen for that one. But the other thing I am very thankful for is all the amazing people who assist with children and families ministry in this church. I am thankful for all the Kids for Christ helpers. who are, There's a lot of them out there at the moment teaching our children. They're the most amazing, gifted people I've ever actually met. I'm thankful for the Girls Brigade and the incredible work that she does and her team with the girls who come along. They have something like 40 girls coming each Tuesday, isn't it? Something like that. Awana and their team there. And then, of course, we have Toddler Time who meets here on Tuesdays. I thank God in my prayers often for those guys and what they are doing in this church. But you know what? They don't do that because they get some sort of applause from up the front or anything like that. Rather, they do it for one reason alone, and that is they want the children that they are responsible for to get to know Christ in such a way that they are filled with this and so they'll be able to share the gospel freely and ably with those around them. That's my goal too as I lead this ministry. And so to have a topic on knowing and telling the gospel which fits in exactly with our goal of getting to know this with all our beings so that we can share with others is really important. And so I'm glad for the opportunity of being able to share at least part of that series. Now this series started about two weeks ago where Pastor Rob, he, he first explained clearly and carefully the gospel, how Jesus died for our sins, how we were sinners, how we, uh, we fell away from God. He explained it clearly and we're going to be going over a bit of that this morning as well. Then last week was when he talked about how Jesus redeemed us, how he willingly took the price for our sin, for all the wrong that we have done on the cross for us, how he redeemed us, how because of Jesus we are saved. And remember, he had the illustration where people were on one side and God was on the other and people would try to reach God, but they couldn't. Not by good works, not by education or anything like that. If you remember the illustration, the only way that people got across that chasm was through the cross, wasn't it? Jesus redeemed us. And this morning, we are going to talk about the issue of being cleansed. We're going to look at what it means in the biblical context. We're going to compare it to how being cleansed is with being unclean. We're going to see how being cleansed relates not just to us personally, but how it relates to our entire community. And I'm going to give you some ideas that you'll be able to share with those around you that will give you the freedom to share what it is to be clean before God with others. But first, before we go any further, let's pray. Huh? Father God, thank you for this huge opportunity you've given me to share your word with people this morning. Lord, please may they hear your words alone. May they be challenged where they need to be challenged. May they realise what they are saved from and may they be glad for that. May 
as we talk about what is to be cleansed and uncleansed, may you reach into their hearts. Please speak to us this morning, we pray in your name. Amen. Now, even before COVID hit, we Aussies, we, we were used to what it, we knew what it was to be clean, didn't we? All right, you know, Aussies play hard, we work hard. You know, there's an idealistic view of Aussies. We go out and the work and all that sort of stuff. We get all sweaty and all the rest of it. And that's just for the women? No, no, okay. All right. Um, and, and we come home and we take our boots off and we leave it at the, at, at the doorstep. And then, of course, we become clean. And we use different products to, to clean ourselves up. Here's just some of the ads I grew up in, just to being a bit of a merry trip. How it, being clean is such... An Aussie thing now, isn't it? Remember the Solvo ads? Remember the Solvo? Wash your hands, Jeffrey, with the Solvo, Jeffrey. The Colgate toothpaste with Mrs. Marsh. The chalk does get in, doesn't it? In the 1990s, a shampoo company decided they wanted to sell shampoo, so they found a 1960s tune and before you know it, Decoray, and everyone was, remember that song? Decoray. I bought this stuff because I wanted to sing in the shower. Just for washing your hair. And of course, my favourite one of all, if it's, it's not clean unless it's rhino clean, right? And then since COVID has hit, the idea of being clean has been really drummed into us, hasn't it? Anywhere we go, we, we use hand sanitizer. If you go into the coals or worse, you should, I'm hoping you're still doing this, you get your trolley and you wipe it down, don't you? Up until just over a year ago, social distancing was something that you generally talked about people who were rude, wasn't it? Now we use social distancing all the time. And of course, those of us who are intelligent enough to wear glasses you've actually learned what it is to wear our face mask without it fogging up. In the New Testament Greek, the, the word for koina, the, the word koinao means common, to be clean, to be defiled, spoiled. Yet in contrast, the New Testament word for purify or clean is katharsos, which means blameless, innocent, unstained with the guilt of anything. Now, those two definitions are more of a contrast between our clean and unclean, isn't it? Uh, generally, when you think of clean, it's like something's either clean or it's not. But those definitions actually go deeper, doesn't it? One is spoiled and defiled and worthy of being thrown away. The other causes you to pause, to consider, to be thoughtful. In the Bible, from as early as the times of Noah, there was a distinction between those animals which were clean and unclean. Those things which were spoiled and defiled and those which were things which were pure and blameless. In Mosaic law, those laws that God gave to Moses during their time in the wilderness, you know what I'm talking about. And how God gave a whole bunch of laws which were not necessarily to keep them people healthy, although it helped, but it was to make sure the Israelites, as they were forming into a nation, because at that point, they were just a group of tribes meeting together and forming together. 
But God gave them a whole bunch of laws so that when they entered the land of the Gentiles, the Canaanites and everyone else, they would be set apart, they would be holy. They would be God's chosen people. Yet, by the time of the New Testament, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law that actually artificially enlarged this distinction between clean and unclean. They became more concerned which was outwardly clean and unclean, that thing which was more ceremonially clean and unclean, as opposed to what was spiritually clean and unclean. These laws actually became quite elaborate and burdensome. In the Mishnah, which is the first written down record of the oral law, they had 613 commandments that they had to follow. And a whole lot of those had to do with being clean and unclean. And you had to follow them, and you had to be careful that you didn't accidentally not follow them. For example, if you went to the market and you bought some fruit, you had to go home and wash it in a ceremonial manner because you didn't know what had happened previously to that fruit. You didn't want to accidentally become unclean. If you bought some grain, you had to make sure that you cleaned yourself as well because you didn't know whether a locust, which was seen as being an animal which was unclean, might have touched it somewhere along the way. So you're sort of walking around almost like eggshells going, I've got to be careful not to be unclean out of this. I might accidentally become unclean. And the the Pharisees, they actually made sure that everyone followed these laws as well. So when Jesus came along and he started preaching something which was different to what the Pharisees had been teaching all this time, the Pharisees didn't like it. They felt threatened. What if the people listen to this man? What if they stop following what we've been saying? Not only would the people become unclean, at least according to what we think, but our, their authority as Pharisees would be diminished as well. And in Mark chapter 12, before that, the Pharisees noticed that Jesus, some of Jesus' disciples, they'd eaten food without washing their hands in a ceremonial manner. Now, we don't know what the reason was. We don't know why they weren't able to wash their hands. Maybe they didn't have the appropriate water. We don't know. But it's interesting that in the Torah, the first five books of the Hebrew Bible, there is nothing about washing hands before eating. There is nothing about washing their hands before eating. You had to be clean before you came to a holy God, but there's nothing about washing your hands. The Pharisees had added to the law. In Mark chapter 7, verse 5, they say, Why don't your disciples live according to the traditions of the elders instead of eating their food with unclean hands? Jesus' response is priceless. Look at verse 6. He calls them hypocrites, and it's not the first or the last time he does. And then he quotes Isaiah. He says, These people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain, but their teachings are but rules taught by men. Jesus was concerned that the Pharisees were teaching a ceremonial cleanliness and uncleanliness as opposed to a spiritual 
cleanliness and uncleanliness. Jesus looked and saw their hearts, and their hearts were dark with sin. Outwardly, they were looking great. Inwardly, there was something different altogether. In fact, if you look at verses 9 to 13, the Pharisees are far more concerned with the people keeping an oath than they are about looking after their parents. And Jesus reminds the people that religiosity can often cause people to treat others with callousness. That having that sense of religiosity, I'm better, means we can treat people quite poorly. And then Jesus calls the crowd to him in verse 14. He says, Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a man can make him unclean by going into him. Rather, it is what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. Now, the disciples, they don't get it. Going, this is different to what we have learnt all our lives. We are supposed to eat certain foods in order or not eat certain foods to make sure that we are clean. But what you're saying is different, that it doesn't matter what we eat. There's something else to it. And so they, get, they come up to Jesus and go again, we don't get it. And Jesus, in, he calls them dull, verse 18. Other versions say the disciples lacked understanding. There's even one version I found that says, are you stupid? But Jesus is saying that eating certain foods does not make one unclean. Not washing your hands before eating doesn't make you spiritually unclean. Those things are not what affect you when it comes to cleanliness and uncleanness from a spiritual point of view. Remember again that definition I said about the, what cleanliness was? To be defiled, to be spoiled, to be worthy of thrown away. And verse 20 to 23 explains what it makes us spiritually unclean. What comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within, out of men's hearts, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. Out of a man's heart, out of a person's heart, funnily enough, the New Testament Greek word for heart here is cardia, which most of us are familiar with. It is the core of who we are. It is from which our desires, our thoughts, our judgments all come from. They come from the heart. Our actions reveal the state of our hearts. They do not define our hearts. What you do and what you say does not affect, is not your heart. But how you act is a reflection of your heart. A hardened heart will cause a person to indulge in those evil deeds I listed before. But it's not what you do that makes you unclean. It's not what you eat that makes you unclean. Sin in your heart, at your core, makes you unclean. All those things done and thought of, those deliberate and intentional ones, and you know the ones I'm talking about. Not the fleeting little ones, but the ones where you deliberately think about something that you know you shouldn't. We are all clean because of the sin which lives in us. We are all spoilt. We are all defiled. We are all worthy of being thrown away. 
God loves us, make no mistake about that. But in Romans 3, verse 23, it says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now we'll come back to this verse in a moment, but note that we all have sinned. We are not up to God's standards. We're all unclean. As we are, God sees us as unclean, spoiled and defiled. As we are, we are unworthy of a place with a holy God. As we are, we do not deserve by any shape or form to be going anywhere near heaven. Because of our sin, as we are, we are condemned and unclean before a holy God. And how do we become clean before God? You guys know the answer, right? But if you actually notice in verse 23, there's actually a comma at the end, which means there's something more to come. And in verse 24, Romans 3, verse 24, and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. We are acquitted of all that sin because of Christ. Through Christ's death and resurrection, we are clean, aren't we? We are redeemed, as Pastor Rob said last week, not through our own doing, but through Christ. When someone accepts Christ as their saviour, God doesn't look at them. Instead, he looks at Jesus, who is perfect, who is pure, who is blameless, and goes, well, if you're with him, you're with Christ, then that's fine by me. Now, I'm going to demonstrate this, which is why the table was here. And I hope, is it all set up? Okay. This is us, or at least a baby, right? Now, some people think that babies are pure and blameless. But as anyone who's got a newborn baby will tell you, they're not. They've got sin in them, haven't they? Please nod your heads, all right? Go good, right? Okay, they have sin. If they want food, they're going to cry about it to make sure you know about it, okay? So we have sin, right? So we are not pure and blameless. So we have this sin in us. In fact, make no mistake, in in Psalm chapter 51, it says that we have been sinful since birth. From the time we were conceived, we have sin in us. It's dark and not very nice. And so as time goes on, we go, how can we get rid of this sin? This is terrible. And so sometimes we use knowledge. Like, oh, um, my kids are not doing well. Oh, go to a parenting course. A parenting course might be wonderful. And it doesn't affect it. But then, of course, you sin a bit more. You got a bit angry with that person who cut you off and you used words you shouldn't have used. You try to fix it up again. Oh, no, I better do good deeds. So, oh, it's telethon weekend. I know what I'll do. I'll donate some money to telethon. Doesn't affect it, does it? Give some knowledge. Maybe if I learn something else, maybe if, I don't know, I'll do a bit more good deeds. I'll help out with KFC. That might be a wonderful thing. Does the colour change at all? No, no. No matter what we do, it will still stay that way. As I've been saying, the only way we can be cleansed is through Christ, isn't it? But of course, we as Christians, 
we sin from time to time. You know, I didn't really like what that pastor said to me the other day. And what happens though? We are still cleansed. As Christians, as followers of Christ, God sees us as clean. That's hugely, that's amazing. God accepts us now, not because of who we are, but because of Christ. When we realise that we are a sinner, when we respond to that, we realise the only way we can become clean before God is through repentance and choosing to follow him. And God promises us no matter what, that he'll forgive us and cleanse us and make us pure and right before him. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us and cleanse us and forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Now some people, they say, I can never follow God. You don't know the bad things I've done. I've done terrible things. That verse there doesn't give any caveats to it. It doesn't say any exclusion clauses to it. It doesn't say, oh, that verse doesn't apply if you've done such and such. If we confess our sins, God will forgive it. We don't need to carry our sins around from the past like a burden. Many of you have seen Pilgrim's Progress, and you know the burden that that pilgrim carried through most of the story. And then when he came to the foot of the cross, God took it. And that's what God promises to us today. We can be free from the guilt, that burden that comes with sin. God promises that all who come to him, who are weak, weary, and burdened, God will give you rest. We don't need to carry that guilt around. So if someone that you know says, look, this Christianity stuff is just too hard, you don't know what I've done, remind them that God will forgive that sin. But we have to turn away from that. There was a man who lived in Sydney in the 19, the first half of the last century. He was affectionately known as Mr. Eternity. His name was Arthur Stace. For more than 30 years, he would get up very early in the morning and he'd often pray beforehand, going, where do you want me to go? And, and he'd get on a train and goes to different surrounding parts of Sydney. And in beautiful copper plate writing, he would write, Eternity. For the first 20-something years that he actually did it, no one knew who he was. Because he, he, was, he was trying to witness, to remind people to think about things eternal. If you choose not to follow Christ, there's only one place you're going. But if you choose to follow Christ, then you're going to heaven with God. They make no mistake about that. And Arthur Stace wanted people to at least think about that, to go, what does eternity mean to me? But the thing about Arthur Stace is, and God did an amazing work in this guy. I've been reading his biography, and it's just astounding. But he became a Christian in 1930. He was in his late 40s at that point. From the time he, he was a teenager to he became a Christian, he was a drunk. In fact, his entire family was a drunk. Not only that, but he was like a scout for his sister's brothels. It was said that he spent more time, for a better part of a decade, he spent more time in the gutter, literally, than out of it. 
Now, if a man, God could cleanse a man like Arthur Stace, then I don't know what you've done, but God can cleanse you too. And he promises that to us to, that today. So if we are clean, if we are purified before God, then what does that mean to us? How does that affect us? It should affect us, shouldn't it? Well, 1 Peter 1 verse 22 gives us a clue as to how being blameless or clean before God should affect our behaviour. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. When there is a response to the proclamation and proclaiming and hearing of the truth, It purifies us. It cleanses us from the heart, from our inner core. When we are filled with this, when someone becomes a Christian, they want to get to know God, don't they? They, They're reading the Bible. They're telling you, I just read John chapter 16 the other day. It was amazing. And God is changing them. He's purifying. He, He gives them a love for others. Gives us a love for others. He gives a love for our fellow believers. We make a commitment to do what is right before God. We become like a sheepdog. We want to please our master. We want to please our Lord. Not out of fear, but out of love, out of loyalty. Because we know what Christ has done for us. When we are clean too, we develop a genuine love for others, for other believers. And it's not an acting, it's not a play acting thing. We are changed. We're able to see our fellow believers as God sees them, as clean, as purified, as undefiled. How amazing it would be as a church if that happened, if we saw our fellow believers as clean. But too often we get slighted by something that we think someone has, our fellow believers, done to us, or we thought they'd done to us. My son, he deserved that role. How dare he? That person spoke rudely to me. They did not give me the respect I deserve. And we do that, don't we? We who are the, should be the most gracious people on the planet can sometimes be, sometimes be the most ungracious people. We should be the most gracious people because we know what we are saved from. But often we aren't, especially with our fellow believers. We don't show them the grace and mercy that Christ showed us. And it's no wonder when people come into our churches and see Christians and go, look at the way they're treating each other. They're, they're hypocrites. They say they love, love God, but look at the way they're treating each other. And the truth is, sometimes we are. But if we stop and consider for a moment who our fellow believers are before God, maybe we might be able to, as 1 Peter 1 verse 22 says, love one another deeply from the heart. As we, as fellow believers are because of the grace of Christ, let us be slow to judge and quick to show God's grace. Let us be filled with things from this so that what comes out is a reflection of that. There's an old chorus 
I'm not going to sing it to you, right? But the last, note the, the last few lines. And they'll know we are Christians by our love, by our love. Yes, they'll know we are Christians by our love. I wonder what sort of impact Woodvale Baptist Church would have in our local community if we as believers, through being cleansed through Christ, were able to love one another deeply from the heart. It would affect our ministries here in church. It would affect how we reach out to our local communities. And we would become a reflection of Christ, isn't it? So let's just quickly summarize. We are... We are all unclean in God's eyes because of sin. It is through the grace of Christ that we are made clean. Nothing else. There is no sin so big that God cannot forgive it. Because we are made clean through Christ, change happens. We are affected by it. We love our fellow believers with the same grace and mercy that Christ showed us. And if we do sin... Or maybe when we sin, we need to ask God's forgiveness, accept his grace, make an effort to change, and don't carry that sin around with you as a burden. Christ has already taken that burden. You don't need to carry it anymore. Remember, at the start of this message, I said there was one other thing I was thankful for. And here it is on the slide. I am thankful that through Christ, we can be clean again. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that through Christ we are made clean. Thank you through the blood of Jesus we are made clean. Lord, I pray for people here or people that we know of who do not know you, that they'll come to see you as who you are, that you'll make, be able to help them to become clean before you. We pray for people that they will share God's love with others so that they will be made clean. We pray that you'll help us to confess our sins to you and we will not carry those burdens of sin around with us anymore. We pray that you will help us to start to see our fellow believers as you do, Father, as clean. We pray for Woodvale Baptist Church as a community of believers that you'll help us to love each other as Christ loves us. And we pray that through this love, others will be drawn and be able to see what happens when people are made clean through Christ.